Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, Ask the Strategists. I'm Jake Burns, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Brian Landerman and Ashit Vashajani. Today, we had a conversation on managing costs while migrating to the cloud and different ways to approach it and the overall effect it has on the business. So we get a lot of questions from customers about how to manage their their costs once in the cloud. Um, what are you guys hearing? Yeah, it's a common thing that uh, we often hear from executives that we talk to, um, and not just in terms of accounting treatment, but in general, broadly about what changes they have to make uh, in terms of budgeting, uh, managing finances, uh, to truly get benefit of the cloud uh, as they're moving through it, because it's it's not just about where you spend your money on technology. It's really about how you spend your money in general. Hmm. So why can't we just keep doing what we were doing before? We can keep doing what we were doing before. Yeah, right? you can. We, we certainly can. The, yeah, you'll get, you the, get same the same results. results. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's probably not true, but... That is the definition of insanity. Yeah, I don't think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I'll give my opinion then. I think uh, the, the problem is we move from a fixed cost model, which would on-prem largely is a fixed cost model. Um, and you go to a, a pay-for-consumption model, and cloud is largely a pay-for-consumption model. Um, you know, When you go from that one model to the next, if you, if you uh, manage your cost the same, it doesn't necessarily work. Uh, as well, because you know, on-prem with fixed costs, you've met, you've optimized for that fixed cost, right? So, for example, um, you know, you spend a lot of time before you make a purchase to ensure that you're making the right purchase, uh, and then you also, after you make that purchase, you kind of largely forget about that cost. You don't, I mean, you you manage the the depreciation and all that, but you don't really worry about it too much. Um, and I think both of those things are dangerous when you get to a pay-for-consumption model. Yeah, I think that's true. This this conversation goes up a ton in terms of cloud, but obviously a huge aspect of what we do is also on the transformation side. So I do think there's a just in general looking at at your finances differently, how you how you plan for them. To your point, you know, you you spend for something you thought you needed, and then you kind of forget about it. It's You've, you've moved on to the next thing that you're buying uh, uh, for in advance. And I think the same is true with projects, right? Multi-million dollar projects that, that get kicked off and go and run for, you know, years, a year's time. I think both models are broken. And I'm curious, you know, I know you guys have a lot of these conversations um, with customers. Do you see them being that broader view of we want to change how we think about our financial strategy and, and approach our, you know, broad kind of business investments or is it is it really typically rooted in the opex capex of going from data centers to cloud i think there is a desire to change that is one thing that uh i see in the question so that the questions may be uh being presented as some of the things as you described brian in terms of how do we treat this how do we make that change but i think there is certainly a desire to move away from that uh mindset in terms of how just the budgeting, uh, capital allocation, and spend is managed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and there are larger issues beyond just thinking about business case and budgets and spend, right? Uh, you also have to think about your procurement process uh, because all of the systems have been designed 
for these large one-time purchases where you go through a three, six, 12 months analysis, uh, business case preparation, uh, a long cycle of deal negotiation because you're generally signing up for uh, a deal that is, you know, like we would describe as uh, not a complete one-way door, but a uh, tough to open two-way door, you know, uh, <laughs> um, a squeaky two-way door uh, where uh, it will be hard uh, once you sign up for something. And so the procurement process is designed that way. The budgeting process in enterprise is designed that way to make sure that once you ask for something, and if you go back and say, hey, I need more, uh, the reason is, uh, could be, you know, the business has changed or maybe uh, I underestimated or sometimes I'm actually seeing more return on my investment. So I need to double down on this investment, right? I initially thought I should be spending 100000 but I should be actually spending three times more than that because I'm getting tremendous return. But that particular piece of a leader going back and asking for more money is considered traditionally has been considered as something that is not a prudent financial management, right? You're incentivized to state a number for 18, 16, 12 months in advance, and then uh, stay true to that number at the end of the year, right? Like spend all your money, uh, have a, as little variance as possible. That's that's That that makes you a great budget manager. I'm just trying not to laugh, uh, imagining you, Vishit, asking for more money. <laughs> <laughs> vault full of money behind you. That's amazing. <laughs> I have done that uh, uh, walk of shame a few times, which I, it, when it was considered a walk of shame, but uh, then I came to realize that uh, uh, most of the folks that uh, you're dealing with, uh, from your CFO to the executive team, I think there is also an assumption on on a lot of time in IT leaders' part that. Uh, or, or even in partners part that, uh, CFOs, um, are there to actually, uh, validate and, uh, and try to get it tougher to get an investment, right? But it's really, you're dealing with, right. uh, business executives. So you really make a case and, uh, and generally you get, get funded and then you build credibility over a period of time by being the good steward of company's money. That's right. Yeah, and for our audience, just a couple of things. Um, Ashit's on uh, Chime with us, and he's got a background that's a vault full of like <laughs> stacks of $100 bills, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. And, and clarification for those that don't know the one-way door, two-way door thing. A one-way door is a decision you can't back out of, and a two-way door is a decision that you can make, and then you can change your mind, and there's uh, very little consequence. So, um, you know, the, the distinction is, you know, if there's a two-way door and, you know, at Amazon, we say you go through it, you, 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 you don't analyze it, you, uh, you make that decision because it's easy to back out of. And then by doing that, you're able to move very quickly and take advantage of uh, opportunities. So I have a, a couple of questions for you guys. Um, so Isha, you talked about that kind of difference between financial management, right? And, and uh, asking for more money or, or reforecasting or something being viewed as poor financial management. Um, and the difference between that and, you know, perhaps better understanding the value your, you know, the opportunity in front of you, or that maybe the value isn't there and you're pulling back. Like, how did you, how did you change that conversation in your organization so that folks started embracing that type of financial management versus instead, you know, looking at it as, okay, well, you obviously didn't know what you were doing from the beginning. You know, you should have planned more or whatever else. Mm -hmm. um, 
because there's there's business benefit in doing what you're saying, obviously. And I, you know, we it was definitely something we were doing at Cox Automotive, moving towards um, that sort of planning. Yeah, there are a few things uh, that I think has worked for me or have worked for me. Uh, number one is the ability to uh, have the transparency in uh, and being able to pinpoint and directly correlate now to what you're spending versus the business transactions or that are happening and then mm-hmm. uh, the consumption uh, and the revenue, right? So uh, that transparency is a uh, lot of time undervalued before you actually start showing that, right? Because I can no, no longer, I have to make a business case uh, once uh, and then maybe a business value realization study at the end of 12 months or 16 months in the project, which uh, 99% of the time would always meet the objectives of the business uh, case, right? Uh, especially if you're a pretty savvy mm. operator. Um, <laughs> True. But now you you are able to provide ongoing visibility into saying, hey, we decided to make this investment. Um, and let's say in our case, uh, I'll make a hypothetical example. Let's say it's media, right? So in media, you're saying we want to launch a new pop-up channel uh, on a streaming platform. Uh, in this model, I can actually say, what is my per customer acquisition cost. I can say, what is my cost to support uh, each stream of a consumer uh, in each territory? What's my cost to maintain and retain a customer? Um, And then that becomes uh, a very powerful tool, not only for budget allocation, but even from marketing, for sales, for content creation. So the visibility that comes with that goes much more beyond uh, financial justification, and I think business generally loves that. So I, that's one piece I would say is transparency. The second thing is uh, building credibility, right? You have to, as leader, build credibility over a period of time. Uh, and the general assumption is that, hey, in the budget, especially in IT budgets, there will be huge amount of sandbagging involved, right? You, you, you come up with <laughs> a number, you have a 15 20% contingency buffer. Uh, you already know uh, where you're going to find money if you're a little bit short without having to go back to the bank and ask for it, right? Because you probably had 15, 20% um, contingency buffer stashed away in every line item that you have, right? Mm-hmm. And and by actually being much more transparent to say, I'm I'm going to show you how I came up with this. I'm going to show you how I'm progressing on that. And then staying true to that build credibility within within the within the team as well. Uh, so that it becomes easier to change those conversations. And the final piece I'll say is education. Vocabulary is different. Uh, how finance, consumption, technology, and consumer behaviors are changing is is pretty different than how it has been traditionally done. So don't assume that just because you as a technology leader or CI or CTO understand why this is an important model, others would immediately understand as well. You have to meet them where they are and then walk them through the process in language and terms that they understand. So Ishit, and Jake, I'd love for you to chime in there, but I heard a couple things from you that are, I don't know if they're surprising, um, you know, for our listeners, but we're talking about changing financial strategy and and shifting from on-prem costs to the cloud. And, and you're calling out things like, well, we measured different things. We 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 looked at you know how we're getting value and and whether or not we were heading in the right direction by by measuring different things which was not project plans and you know or, or 
on budget, on time kind of thing. Correct. I think that's a really important call out. And the other thing I heard you saying was there's new skills needed. We've we've spent a lot of years honing uh, this ability to forecast this long-term plan with plenty of opportunity to course correct along the way and still achieve the plan. Um, which which really means there's probably a lot of waste, mm-hmm. and we're kind of li- lying to ourselves to some extent in building these plans because there is so much space in them. But I think that's really interesting that that's kind of core to the conversation, um, and it's not just about like the answer isn't well, so capitalize your RIs right or or whatever else. It's like it's so much bigger than that. Um, sorry, I had to I had to throw that in, guys. Um, <laughs> but Jake, yeah, what what you, what's your take on that? Well, my, my favorite part of what he said was the transparency, um, because I think this is a really a newfound capability that we have uh, once in the cloud. You know, it's something that we've always wanted. Um, I think finance has wanted it the most. Um, but of course, IT wants it as well, because IT, you know, needs to provide numbers to finance and data to finance. And um, if we're being honest about it, uh, as IT, we've been pretty bad at, at providing those accurate numbers. Um, and that the bar has been set pretty low. And so like once you move to cloud, you, you, you know, you can immediately raise that bar much higher than you ever imagined possible. And I think this is, uh, at least in my case, and, uh, and I imagine a lot of other customers' cases, it's a very pleasant surprise to the finance folks. In fact, they might not even believe it at first that you can, you can do this. You could say, here's every dollar we're spending on infrastructure, for example, allocated to the project. And by the way, it's also accurate um, today. And if you want an updated one tomorrow, we'll give you an updated one tomorrow, and that will be accurate as well. And that's that's amazing. The the other beauty of this is you go through this this transition and transformation, right, of moving from on premises to cloud. Most likely, maybe a lot of lift and shift, some refactoring, to truly starting to modernize your uh, application and products and use things like serverless and lambda. Uh, the beauty of this is the Technical maturity or infrastructure maturity is directly now tied to your financial uh, transparency as well. So it gets better and better and better, right? So the fact that mm-hmm. I move to cloud is one level of transparency. But then once I start using things like serverless, now I can actually pinpoint mm. every single transaction and assign a value to that. So I'm no longer even right. assigning a value to, say, a compute hour right, or a compute minute, I'm actually able to say, this is exactly what fulfilling an order cost uh, on an average, right? Uh, And so, and that's not something that uh, we were able to do before. So from a finance standpoint, what happened was when we bought softwares or invested in uh, servers, um, it was it was sort of an unknown spend, right? That, oh, we're buying some technical capabilities that maybe help us automate certain things, improve speed of processes. But I don't have a view into exactly where, right? Where is the big benefit coming from in my business workflow? And so modernization is very tightly tied to this. And I think that the 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 better you get at that, the better you get at financial management. That's so true. You're, you're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, I think, for, for most people. So I think we sh- it's, it would be nice to kind of um, dive a little deeper into what you just said, because I think it was really kind of a, a subtle point, but it was very, it's, it's a very important one. You know, if you move your infrastructure, say you do a lift and shift to, to, to cloud, um, you now have this kind of transparency that I was talking about, but the fidelity isn't as high as it can be. 
right? So you're kind of like your atom, so to speak, of, of, of you know, your building block of the financial model is going to be servers and, and storage, uh, same as it was before. Mm. And so it doesn't take into account like how those servers and storage is being used. So you can say, you know, this server is being used for this project, but you don't know. And, and what if it's a shared server, right? And then you, you're not able to break it down by that. But once you go serverless, and by the way, serverless, a lot of people don't know, but serverless is more than just Lambda. You know, S3 is serverless, right? As well. Um, CloudFront is serverless. So a lot of these, a lot of our services are serverless. And once you get into those, um, you've, you've, you've done a couple of things. One, you've become more pay for consumption really because you're like paying per function or paying per object. And so you can get even more efficiency and cost efficiency uh, by doing that. But you've also improved the transparency of your, your financial reporting as well because you're getting that extra fidelity of doing that. Yeah, I think I think to your point, one of the one of the big kind of skill transitions for the broad team, right, is is learning how to build cost-effective architectures, how to take advantage of some of these different cost structures, you know, or different data access patterns, you know, whether it's S3 versus Glacier versus in a relational database and you know, what are you doing with it and what's the cost for it? Um, and how do we maximize that to get the most efficient architecture, you know, to solve the problem easily, but also also optimize the cost? That's definitely a new skill. I think that's a good clarification, Jake. But I think the conversation, though, is typically so focused on the transition, right? And from mm -hmm. from CapEx to OpEx, and, and there's a lot of businesses that are um, heavily CapEx, right? Like uh, I was talking to a company in energy. The majority of their CapEx spend is not in IT. It's it's in their core business. And so making a meaningful transition to OpEx is like a really sensitive conversation. And so I'm curious mm -hmm. about your advice because you're, you're, you know, what you just said is that there's essentially some stepping stones, right? Where you can go from where you are on-prem to work to, to kind of a similar model with servers and storage in the cloud. And then you can further optimize and get finer grained cost transparency and, you know, cost optimization through, through different architecture. But I think getting there is the hardest part, right? How do I, like, how do, what, what do you, what do you talk to customers about when they're stuck in that CapEx OpEx conversation? I think when that question comes up, right, uh, there is, it's not a magical formula to say, do this, right? Um, because it is, it is a change. And that change is much beyond, uh, the accounting treatment change. It is really a change about, uh, first of all, truly understanding when you say capex or opex, first of all, truly understand where the cash is going, right? Forget about whether it is capital or opex, but what are you truly spending? When you buy that box, right? You're not just mm -hmm. paying the cost of that box. Uh, one of the things that um, uh, we had done internally, uh, this was before we moved to cloud, we had a, uh, our infrastructure team uh, almost had a price sheet, right, internally. So if you're trying to budget a new project, you know, you plug in stuff in terms of what you need, and then it'll spit out, well, here is what it will cost, right? And, and there was mm -hmm. a cost associated with a terabyte of storage, right? Um, there was a unit that we, they used and there was a cost associated with that. Now that cost wasn't just buying that storage array, right? Uh, it included the storage engineer. It included the labor to buy. It included the three months, uh, lead cycle to get stuff shipped and put it in our data center, sending somebody to actually commission that. Uh, it included uh, ongoing cost to patch, manage, uh, integrate. It included uh, the overhead of having, you know, over a number of period buying several different 
storage layers and, and maintaining and dealing with the complexity of inconsistency between all of them, right? And that was all that reflected in that price point. So my question was, when I look at the price point and I said, well, I can go to amazon.com and buy a terabyte of storage as a consumer, right? For like one tenth of this price. So why is it costing us <laughs> this much, right? Like just <laughs> help me understand yeah, that true. thing. I can buy a, you know, if I want to buy a terabyte of external drive, it, it costs like, you know, it's very cheap. So why is it in like thousands of dollars here? And that's when you get the idea about, well, it does include all of these things. Um, and so first of all, I think it's about truly understanding what's your current cost and what are the hidden costs that you're not factoring in. And when I say hidden cost, I'm not just talking about the cost of, you know, lost productivity or the time that is spent in um, maintaining the infrastructure, which is all important. I'm actually even talking about just hard cost, right? The dollars that you're truly spending beyond uh, buying that piece of hardware. So that's, I think it starts with bringing or, or shining a light on what your true expense is. The second piece is around showing um, the cash flow impact, right? Because eventually it does come down to the free cash flow and how does what you're doing now impact that versus what you're going to do in the future uh, is going to impact that. Now, that is something that you can theoretically explain, but in my experience, what works is when you actually execute on one thing, right? That first thing, and then you show what it would have looked like and what it looks like now in terms of just the pure cash flow. So many good points in there. I, I actually just did a webinar on um, Lambda pricing and total cost of ownership. I think the definition of what that is and, and what you know, the impacts tend, I think I, I've, I've seen people have a too narrow a view on TCO and, and not taking into account all of the pieces. So it's, it's really interesting that, you know, when you're buying your hardware, all of those are, all, all of those pieces are factored in from an infrastructure perspective, right? The infrastructure, you know, provisioning and, and, and all of that. But, you know, there's obviously all the costs to operate it ongoing, which sounds like was included. But then what about all the de development, the impacts of development that it takes you three months to provision, which means someone had to, you know, three months in advance, plan it out, have enough work queued up to fill that space until their, you know, their equipment arrived. And so how much, you know, what's the impact of that and the cost of that, you know, those cycles? If if you add up all that, Brian, it 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 makes it even better, right? My my advice, right? Exactly. Right. My advice generally to the customer is even if you just looked at hard dollars that you're spending, right? But don't just look at the hard dollars you're spending on purchasing that piece of equipment, but on everything else to run, provision, build, and operate. For a second, even keep the lost productivity, that the fact that what's something that you could have put in front of your customer or business tomorrow will now take six months, right? For a second, just put that aside, right? Because oftentimes what happens is that those calculations are uh, more of sort of intangible cost and there are a lot, lot of assumptions involved, right? So they're all valid and we know that they exist. But my advice to customer is that look hard at truly the hard cost you're spending. And I can guarantee that there is a lot more than what you think you're spending just in pure real cash. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about uh, at Amazon, we spend a ton of time strengthening our ideas 
And I think it's really rooted in this desire to work. We work really hard to find a way, one way versus two way door. Like we, we want to try things quickly and work really hard. And, and so we'll, we'll find ways to make it work. I think a lot of enterprises have, it's the opposite. The first answer is no. It's like all the reasons why it won't work. And I certainly encounter that in the financial conversations. You know, it's like, well, so Cox Automotive was a private company and I have the financial conversation. I'm like, well, we looked at free cash flow, right? And we, yes, we had to make an adjustment and we had to go to our board and, and, um, you know, make it call out that we were transitioning to more OPEX, but we looked at free cash flow and on a free cash flow, you know, basis, we were, it was a positive transition for us. You know, we saved money. Um, but they're like, oh, but you were private. We're public. That doesn't work. And so I'm, I'm curious, like how much of this is just getting out and doing the work and, and, tr you know, working hard to find a way to yes versus anything else? Like is, is, do you guys think that this is really, uh, like a problem that can't be overcome for some companies? And, and I'm sure I'm not, uh, uh nothing's a hundred percent. Right. But I'm curious, like how much of this is just so new and so different and that it's causing, that's most of the problem is that it's a change versus it truly being an issue that can't be overcome. I would say it is it is a change, right? It is not something that cannot be overcome. But at the same time, it I wouldn't even trivialize to say, well, just change your mindset and it'll be fine, right? Uh, it does require a much bigger conversation. And I think the reason it is tougher is because when it comes to this topic, uh, you're not just dealing with stakeholders inside of your company, right? Even to the board. You're also sometimes, to your point, Brian, uh, uh, whether you're private versus public, you're also dealing with shareholders and, and other entities outside of your company, right? So that's why these conversations um, uh, tend to get a lot of attention and they're important. Um, but I wouldn't say they are simple, but they are certainly doable. It just is because there are so many variables and so many stakeholders involved, it is a much uh, larger onus on leadership to actually take action and communicate uh, and, and we see a lot of companies do that, right? When they actually go down this route, they actually go and publicly communicate and announce this is what we are going to do. Because one thing, you know, as we all know, where does a CFO not like? Surprise, right? Uh, and, and so it's about saying, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what it's going to look like for next three months or six months or whatever. And here is how it's going to look like later on, right? And then you stay true to that. I think there are two two more points I want to make, uh, which uh, sometimes get overlooked in this. How often how often have you guys got that call uh, during the year, right, to say, "Hey, find like five percent in your budget, or <laughs> we need to cut 10. <laughs> every year." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, uh. what's the typical uh, situation when that happens? If all of your costs are pre-committed fixed cost versus your ability to answer that call and actually in some ways provide a menu of option and say, I, I can do five, I can do 10, I can even do 20, right? Here is the menu of option and choices available. And by the way, I don't need a three months lead time to negotiate and renegotiate a contract, right? Because that's, that's the freedom I now have to be able to uh, change that, right? So that's one one piece that I would say it gets overlooked. And the second piece that gets overlooked is the uh, uh, merger and acquisition and divestiture, right? Because um, when you acquire 
uh, or companies that are constantly acquiring entities. Uh, in our case, we were taking uh, full ownership of a lot of our joint ventures globally. Really arriving at true cost of ownership and, and operating those entities um, is something that uh, was very important and, and cloud provided a lot of benefit in that as well, because now you have pinpoint visibility into uh, each segment of your business. Right. Yeah, and what you're describing here is is the classic example of agility and how cloud provides that agility for you. And I think, you know, it's an important point that it does this, um, even if you just look at it from a financial perspective, it provides that and it gives you that capability that you didn't have before. Like if you really had to reduce your cost by 5% and do it by next week kind of thing, um, that may be impossible or may be impossible to do safely uh, and, you know, before you move to cloud. But, you know, to your point, uh, afterwards, you have you could reduce your cost by 100% if you really wanted to. You have that capability, and you can reduce it by 10%. You could reduce it by 5%, and you can uh, present kind of what the uh, trade-off is by doing that um, and, and present many options. And the other side of that is true as well. If you need to all of a sudden expand your capabilities, you know, and the kind of simple example of that is you need to scale your business very quickly, like if you have an online uh, presence and, and you're you're expecting a lot more uh, business very quickly. You're able to um, fulfill that request. Of course, it's going to cost you more because it's pay for consumption, but you have that option. Whereas before, you didn't have that option. And the point is, having those options is always a good thing because you now have a choice, whereas you didn't have a choice before. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about elasticity, but I think the tendency is to think about it to scale up based on, you know, demand or whatever else. But right. yeah, to your point, there is that the ability to scale down to um, back off your norm if, if business conditions change. Yeah. And to do it in an automated fashion, if you want, right? So you don't have to like always be making these manual decisions and manual adjustments. You could make it completely automatic if you want. And that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's what powers some of the most, uh, the largest companies in the world is that that capability and what allows it to stay in business and also keep costs low is because you're always changing what you pay versus what you need. And I think this is the fundamental kind of benefit of cloud from a, from a financial standpoint, if we're able to kind of simplify it to a large degree, it's you, you, you match the, what you're using with um, what you need. You match what you're paying for with what you need. And so if you're doing it right, you're never paying for things you don't use. And that, in my mind, if I was to sum it up in one thing, that's where you get the power of cloud um, in terms of uh, lowering your costs. Uh, one of the things that um, into how how you do that, right, or how you go about doing that, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the new roles uh, or the structure or the skill set between the finance and IT a little bit. Uh, and Jake, I know you, you had some thoughts uh, around it, especially having skill set and roles within your teams uh, who can play in this intersection of uh, finance and and also understanding technology decisions. Right. So <clears throat> it starts with uh, my assertion that your cloud costs, and I mean, this is true for other things as well, I'd say your resiliency and, and, and everything else is directly correlated with the skill set of your team that's managing your cloud uh, infrastructure or your cloud uh, environment. So, you know, the way really that you reduce your costs in the cloud is to have people, um, you know, who, who are managing it, who understand how cloud costs work. And so it's, it's, there's a tremendous return on investment in educating your team on um, cloud, um, but then also specifically on how to manage costs in the cloud. 
Um, and it, it just, it's just amazing how much return you get on that because, um, when you have people actively, um, you know, who's, they're accountable for it and they're able, you know, they have the capabilities to manage it. Um, you know, you could, you could reduce your costs, um, daily. You can show progress daily on this. And this is again, something that we're not used to having. We're not used to being able to have, um, the, the consequences of our actions and the benefits of the work we put in so quick. Um, but, but this is why it's such an easy business case to make, to, to dedicate a person to doing this or, or a team to doing this, or, you know, percentage of person's hours to doing this, because you're going to know right away whether it's working or not. And so you could try it out, run an experiment. Hey, try this for, for a week, spend, you know, half of your time trying to manage our costs and see what happens and get help if you need it. I mean, AWS will provide help. There's partners that can provide help. Um, and, and when you do that, you see, and the business sees very quickly, wow, this is a, this is a good, um, you know, a good thing for us to prioritize. Uh, and, and you get the most bang for your buck in the beginning, you know, there's always going to be low hanging fruit. So, you know, just try it and do it. And, um, you know, you can use 80, 20 rule, you know, you don't have to go really far with it, but in my case, you know, we did go very far with it because, uh, we wanted to see how low we could get our costs, um, while raising performance and, um, reliability and everything else. So it's really up to you how much effort you want to put in, but it always pays in to, to put in that initial effort. Yeah, I, I believe having that uh, role, right, or a function, regardless of whether it sits within uh, finance or IT. I had a business finance team that reported into me with a dotted line to finance uh, and worked very tightly with finance. But there are other models that we have seen with the customers where it's the other way around, right? You have the uh, finance folks who are dedicated to uh, technology. But mm-hmm. the, the piece that I've found very, very useful is when you are doing your uh, annual budget uh, forecast once every three months, um, right? Uh, the need to have this dedicated role or a skill within your company is not that important. But once you move to cloud and, and to this model of having uh, visibility and control uh, of your spend at such a granular level, um, it is important to invest in building that skill, whether that sits within your technology team or finance team, but someone who understands the economics of it, uh, the accounting of it, but then also understands and work with architects and and engineers as they are making decisions, uh, because that allows you to pull those levers. So I think that's another recommendation that that I give to the customers is to really look at that model and you can't continue to operate in the traditional model of, well, I go once a month to present my financial forecasting. And then once a quarter is when we actually submit a reallocation forecast. Uh, and that's the real, really the only time finance team is engaged, right? So it has to change from yeah. a reporting relationship where you're reporting on what has happened and what you're projecting to happen to an ongoing uh, relationship where you are actually controlling and pulling those levers uh, on a regular basis based on what's happening right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with you. And I, I, th- I really think it's one of the key foundational roles from day one, right? As, as soon as you decide to embark on cloud, not only is it important from a business case perspective, but, you know, a lot of organizations are also making the shift from, from project to to product. And, you know, even, even just in how you design your account structure and how you segment your workloads and, and, you know, tagging different aspects of your infrastructure, 
all of that plays back into, well, how do we want to look at the financial costs of our, you know, what we're operating? So if I want to get, you know, product level PLs, you know, not that you can design from, for, you know, for perfection up front, but that should be an active part of the conversation as you're beginning to build into the cloud. And it, it should tie back to how you're, you're trying to think about things from a business perspective and, and make, you know, investment decisions and, and, and that sort of thing. So it, I agree with you guys. I think that having someone filling that financial role, but taking this new fresh, fresh approach is really how we can drive greater change, right? By you can almost be the uh, tip of the spear, right? In, in shifting your financial strategy through your cloud um, migration, I think, if you have that strong partnership and in, in financial influence from the beginning. Right. Yeah. And so it, it has several benefits. One is you reduce your costs when you do this. Second, you increase your cost transparency, which also kind of feeds back into reducing your costs. Because when you have that transparency, you can have accountability and you can actually do something about the costs you want to lower um, or new areas you want to invest because you actually, you're not um, blind anymore. You can actually see where, where your costs are. Um, and, but third, I think the, the more subtle point, but perhaps the most important for, for the finance folks is it reduces those surprises because I, I completely agree with that. They hate surprises and for good reason. So, you know, there's this, there's this phenomenon that happens in traditional IT on premises is where there, there are these kind of like big issues that you don't discover, you know, until it's way too late. So from a finance person's perspective, you know, they're going to find out about it even later. So, you know, um, and, and, you know, we've been through this before. You got to go to finance and say, you know, hey, there's this big cost that we didn't predict. And, you know, it's always kind of, um, you know, we should have saw this sooner. Um, you can completely eliminate those um, by going to, uh, you know, a cloud because you could be monitoring your costs. You could be literally sitting there looking at your screen and see what your costs are, um, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour. Uh, so those surprises tend not to happen. And also when something does go wrong, you can fix it very quickly. Um, you know, in theory, never have to go back to uh, your CFO and say, we messed up. There's this big surprise because you can get ahead of it, um, you know, so much sooner. Going back to Brian's question originally, right, as to how we started this, this isn't sort of a thing in isolation. It's part of your larger transformation effort, because one of the things that we talk about is as part of your larger transformation, you want to decentralize decision-making, right? And this mm -hmm. change allows you to do that because now you are changing these once-in-a-year big financial decisions that are multi-million dollars that typically reside at a very high level within the organization to a series of small decisions, even financially, which can eventually be pushed down to the level uh, at the front line where they're making that decision. So that's part of sort of your larger uh, ecosystem in terms of uh, changing uh, the culture and decentralization and becoming that high frequency. So the way I look at this is much more than just a financial change. It's really part of your larger transformation change because it allows you to empower uh, people on the front line to make decisions because they are smaller decisions now. It was interesting to hear how changing financial strategies could be impactful not only to overall costs, but also how it changes measurement, the need for updated skills, and the types of conversations you have internally. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel, and remember to submit your questions on our Enterprise Strategy blog or directly to us on LinkedIn, and we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. See you next time.